0: This podcast is brought to you by Tropos, weather and forecast for humans. No dew points or ads, just information you can act on. Get it now at troposweather.com or search for Tropos on the iOS app store.
1: Hi, Mike. Hello, Sean. How's it going? Totally great. I'm here in Denver. How's the altitude doing I was for you? tall, and I'm thirsty. Fair enough.
0: So you are the managing director or d- development director
1: now yes. of our Stockholm office? That is correct. I was the managing director for the past three or or so years, and now I'm the development director, which is like managing director, but totally different. Yeah, it's more of a mentorship role, uh, which is rather fun,
0: I feel. More of a mentorship role, than you're spending more time mentoring, or you're just there to be
1: mentored? I'm I'm spending more time mentoring. Okay, cool. So, and are you you were in New York for a while, right? Uh, I was in Boston for four years, and I'm in New York for the past three weeks. Right, that's why yes. I mean like short term, yeah. a little while, yeah. Yeah, so I'm in New York for two months in total, um, working on a local American project. Cool. What kind of what kind of technology are you using for it? Oh, this one is entirely in Ruby. Oh. Uh, And that's a terrible segue into Django. It is. (laughs) I'm glad you brought this up. The last project I was in on, uh, in Stockholm was in Python. And I've been working with a colleague in New York named George on reviewing his Django pull requests. So how has that been? Oh, it's been great. Uh, Python's a fun, it's a fun change from Ruby. The like, everything about Python is, is very similar to Ruby, but different. It's like the these two identical communities developed without ever looking at each other. And it's very identical and also subtly different. Right. Python itself is a, not purely object-oriented. It's not a small talk re-implemented, unlike Ruby. Right. And so that leads to a lot of just bare functions being defined and... And being prioritized in interesting ways.
0: Yeah, that was one thing I've always found weird whenever I write Python is that map is just a random bare function and not an instance method on the array. I mean, I get, exactly. I, of course you can map over multiple things, but still.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, but it still is object oriented underneath because you can map over, like you said, you can map over multiple things, and it's based on um, it's just based on an interface, and so you pass it something that responds to the correct method, and it will map over it. Yeah. Um, and so it still is object oriented, but it exposes a functional perspective on top of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just like that focus on functions is interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, right. So
0: I think one of the things that subtly demonstrates the the difference in the opinions of those two languages in terms of object object orientation mm-hmm. is that in Ruby we have symbol to proc, yes. but we have no convenient way to pass a method on the uh, object doing the iterating. Um, pass an instance method as a lambda, but then in Python, it's very easy to pass uh, to pass that, but there is no convenient way to do the equivalent of symbol to
1: proc. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, uh, th- th- they solve very similar problems in the exact opposite way. Yeah, um, I feel like list is uh, or um, sorry, join uh, is one of the biggest examples of solving the exact same thing in the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Um, in Ruby, join is a method on array that takes a string. And in Python, join is a method on string that takes an array. <laughs> like, they just didn't look at each other. No, and that, and it's fair. Um, but, but like, and then that falls into Django, uh, where... What? My uh, dog? No, not your dog. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought we were thing, talking about my dog now. The thing your dog is named after. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, right. Let's um, forget about that. Yeah, so Django web framework, uh, very similar to Rails, came out at very, very same time as Rails. Different target audience. Rails was built to build Basecamp, whereas Django was built to build a news website, mm-hmm. and it was built like in a more object-oriented manner on the controller uh, and routing side. Yeah, I, I I mean I haven't done a ton of of stuff with Django.
0: I think my my two biggest exposures to it were. Uh, well, A, that image that went around a while back that was, like, the Django core team next to the Rails core team, Um and it was, like, a bunch of b- white guys in button-downs, and then the Rails core team was, like, Aaron with his mullet and, <laughs> and David in front of his race car. But then George gave a talk at RailsConf two years ago now, I think, about yeah. Django's form objects, and... um how this in Django, for example, they have the same object that is responsible for building the markup of the form, and then also the object that is going to be ultimately
1: responsible for deserializing what the form submits. Exactly, exactly, uh, and it's, it's just a whole bunch of objects on the on the the front end, if you will, the router to the controller to the views. Also, that's another place where Django and Rails didn't look at each other. Right. Uh, Django uses the word view to mean what Rails calls a controller. Um, <laughs> And what Rails calls a view, Django calls a template. Well, and so does everything else ever. Well, right? yes. I think Rails is just flat out
0: wrong <laughs> on that one. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, and then Django, right? Uh, each action
1: on a controller is a separate object, right? Yeah. So an object. So let's talk about like the class, the generic class based views. To like be very pedantic, that's the that's the part I'm focusing on. And there you have an object that represents a resource, and it responds to methods like get and post and put and update, or not update, uh, delete. It's it's basically an HTTP endpoint object. And so the methods are the actual verbs that HTTP responds to. So how how is this not miserable if it's not tons of Magic DSL for everything? Inheritance is the answer. Uh, temp, uh, template method and inheritance. Uh, inheritance, of course, is miserable. Uh, yes. But... Despite that, so there are there are many very useful class-based views. So you have the the root class-based view, which is just called View. It's a pretty good name. Um, but then you get other views like Create View and Update View. And so you would say that the the route for an article, like articles, uh, responds to the Create View. And if you do a post to that, it knows how to handle that. But if you do a um, if you do a delete to that, it doesn't know how to handle it. 'Cause it only knows it only stands post. And so there's that. And then once you inherit from create view, so you have like your article create view, inherits from create view, you just configure it. You say, I'm creating an article. Actually that's all you would say. I'm creating an article here. Okay. And it handles the like it there's a long method there called post that handles actually create you know creating the form, uh saving that to the database, all that kind of stuff, uh based off your configuration. Sure.
0: Well, and, and I was being just pedantic when I was saying, how is this not miserable without magic DSLs? Because magic DSLs are miserable. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but no, actually, that, that, that does lead into a, a good question, though. So um, one of the most common things that, uh, for example, you would use the DSLs for in Rails would be things like authentication. Mm-hmm. So making sure that current user is set. And then if if we cannot find a current user, uh, kicking them back on, uh, you know, putting that in a module, mix that in, have a before filter, um or before action now because some people like to rename methods for no apparent reason. So how would you do that in Django?
1: Right, and so another bizarre fact of Python is that it allows multiple inheritance. But they, well, I guess, it and Ruby both have mixins. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Django, they call them mixins, and you write them as if it were multiple inheritance. And so you could inherit from a create view and from a login-required view, okay, or just a login-required mixin, in uh, And that would add in that kind of authentication requirement. And so you would, what, like, call uh, check authentication and then call super in get? Yeah, but it's handled for you, so yeah. Okay. And, but then there's the other, another interesting property of Python is that it has a built-in macro syntax, macro language, where you can have functions that gets passed to other functions, how do I want to describe this? Uh, you can mark a function as being decorated. Okay. They are, in fact, called decorators. Right. And so you can say uh, you know, def post, right? if you want to define the post method. And you can, above that, say at authenticated. And it, it decorates the post method with the authenticated method. Okay. And so the authenticated method actually takes a function as its argument mm-hmm. and returns a function as its value. It's a function-to-function function to function function um so that basically makes a macro yeah that's just interesting though i mean i guess it's more of a lit
0: well lisp is a, is cheating but because you know <laughs> in, in in languages that aren't lisp i i guess i always think of a macro as something at compile time that takes an ast and returns an ast right I suppose that is just ultimately uh, a similar way to achieve that though take uh, if you take a function, return a function,
1: uh, which in Lisp, those are of course the exact same thing, but yes, but yeah, yeah, these are these are runtime macros, so okay really, decorator is the correct word. we'll right. just stick to that. yeah, and so you can decorate functions, and so you can decorate you can decorate functions and classes, okay so you can decorate a class by saying, you know add authenticated or, or at authentication required, and because it is a function. You can right. pass parameters to it, so you could actually say at authentication required admin, or like pass the string admin, and only admins are allowed. For example, right. And
0: prototypes aside, assuming JavaScript had real inheritance, ultimately Python's object model comes very close to JavaScript, at least compared to something like Ruby, right?
1: Whew. Uh, Where your
0: constructor is just a regular function, and your object is ultimately just a hash with dot notation. That nah. may happen. Fu- that may happen. Have a function as an inst- as an instance property, and that's how you get methods. I mean, yes,
1: uh, but also no. It's certainly not small talk, and it's also not self. It right. is, it's is—it's something in between. Like Python, I don't know when Python got, got classes. I don't know if they always did. I don't think Python it always Didn't always had. have them, no. Yeah. I think it was just originally just a bunch of functions and modules. Um, and that was, I think that was why they went so far with Python 3,
0: was, uh, was they took that opportunity to then really try and mm-hmm. think through the class
1: system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I now remember when they added classes. I was a I was a young programmer and it was controversial as opposed to now. Uh now I'm a young less young programmer. Okay. And it's less controversial that they <laughs> added classes. Yeah, and so they added those classes and it's it's an extension on top of the existing functions and dictionary object, but it's not Like, when I write Python, I don't keep that in mind. Right. No, of course. Of course. Whereas when I write JavaScript, I I know that I have an object, and it is a dictionary, and they are the same thing. And if I want to manipulate this object, I'm going to manipulate it in the same fashion that I would manipulate a dictionary. Right. Whereas in Python, that's not my thought. My thought is, I have an object, and I'm going to manipulate it as an object.
0: Fair enough. And then in Python, you can also define objects to be falsy. Yes. Like midnight. midnight midnight is falsy midnight is falsy in python okay there's this long standing uh issue which i think is actually technically still open of people begging to make midnight not falsy because the idiomatic way to check if a function returned a value isn't to compare it to none it's to just if if that value right. but then if you're having a function that returns a date that might be none you actually do need to explicitly check it to n- for none or you can never return midnight that's right
1: that seems like a problem yeah it's uh, a little it's a little uh, magic like, I'm, I'm annoyed that in Ruby I cannot define arbitrary things to be falsy. Right. But maybe Python has proved that it's a fine thing to do. Just don't define, don't allow custom falsiness. Well, that was,
0: you know, in, in the argument of, like, uh, returning a truthy or falsy value or whether we should return true or false in Ruby, one of the arguments I used to kind of make for always returning true or false is that if you're doing not-not value, you also happen to give that object the ability to define its falsiness. Um, but I also then couldn't ever come up with a Time that I would want to do that, that I wouldn't just be like, oh my god, this is so super implicit and magical. And like the person, if there's a bug in this, the person who has to debug it is going to hate me forever.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's totally true. After writing Python for, uh, after writing Ruby for 10 years now, I am totally fine not being able to define my own falsiness.
0: Yeah. the well, I guess the only case I can think of that would kind of sort of make sense is just because of. So, with the Turing students, one of the um, problems I continuously have with them early on is trying to convince them to stop checking for user being signed in as if current user mm-hmm. and to have a method called signed in. And so then when you introduce your guest object, right, I suppose if you do already have a code base where you're doing if current user is your way of determining it being signed in, making guest falsy would kind of sort of solve that, even though that's not actually good,
1: but as a band-aid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. It is a Band-Aid. But Band-Aids are... I have a lot of respect for Band-Aids in programming. Yeah. Like, as a as a new user of a programming language, I don't want to know that I have to define public static void main in order to just try printing Hello World, right? I just want right. to try something, and Band-Aids are good for that. Band-Aids need to be ripped off when you are collaborating. Yeah, definitely. Well,
0: see, I think you're always collaborating. Okay. Like, the stuff that we do that's for the benefit of other people, other people includes you next week. Right. And, like, I actually think on, sol- on like, solo toy projects, the kind that you are going to drop for a month at a time and then come back and tinker with for a few days and then go away for another month or two, I think, mm-hmm. like, documentation and good commit messages and good code practices are even more important there because that's where you're most likely to ha- uh, not have context next time you come back.
1: That's true. And the compromise I make for those projects, because I have far too many of those, is I do not compromise on tests. I write mm. great tests as if I were writing a real program. I write full tests and the code is crap and I just <laughs> want to get the prototype out. But, you know, I work on it every couple of days or every couple of weeks. So I want to come back and run the tests and see like okay, this is failing. Yeah. I can now look into why. Oh, and well that's always
0: a great way to get, uh, if you know you're not going to be coming back, right? Leave your next failing test. Yes. And then you have and then you have the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Um,
1: Well, so what I usually do is I write a full test of what the prototype should do when it's done. Mm -hmm. And so there's always a failing test unless it's done. And when it's done, then it's no longer – then the prototype is done and I can actually try it. Right. That's
0: another interesting difference between the two communities too, right, is Mm -hmm. Ruby, huge focus on testing. Yes. And gosh, library authors are terrible at writing documentation. Yes. Um, And in Python, right – it's kind of the opposite. Docs totally. are taken super seriously.
1: Yeah, totally, totally opposite. And to be very clear, like you can write great tests in Python and using Django. Yep. There are lots of good tools. Um, but oh, and I'm not saying people don't do it, but yeah. it's like,
0: I guess to put it another way, uh, in Ruby, a library is not considered to be done unless it has tests. And in, yes. G- and in Python, a library is not considered to be done unless it has docs. I
1: totally agree with that. And. I feel like it is changing on the Python side, okay. but not on the Ruby side. Changing in that? In that they're respecting tests more. But not docs less. But not docs less. Well, then that's good. Yes. And there is also the compromise of there's, there's a way to write comments that are execu- executable tests. Right. Um, yeah, Rust has that too, and that is the coolest
0: thing, that you can make it so that your, your documented uh, examples mm-hmm. are actually
1: correct. Yeah, that seems pretty useful. Um, I just I recently finished a uh, a Ruby library. I don't normally finish things. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I wrote, you know, I wrote a whole bunch of examples. But for each one, I had to uh, in the in the comments, I, I wrote a whole bunch of examples. Um, and for each one, I had to manually try it out and see whether it worked. Why don't we write this? Um, Shouldn't be that hard.
0: It shouldn't be that hard <laughs> no grab any comment that's uh, like you, you, i have uh,
1: other projects they have oh, failing no, of tests
0: i'm i'm just i'm just saying we, we you know like if we assume that the the code is always indented uh four spaces or something like that right, right we just grab all, uh, all all of the comments attached to a method and right well I use, parsing like what the code
1: is, which lines are code shouldn't be too hard yeah so i used uh yard for as the format for right. language and so yeah uh i think I actually have not looked into this, but I think Yard provides a way to extract the documentation into bits. And so you can get, like, all the example code. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking because um,
0: one of the things that we are doing in Rails 5 is we added our own test runner, um, and this would be a useful thing to do for that mm-hmm. and maybe push back upstream into a separate gem so that RSpec and Minitest could use it if they choose to.
1: We don't need another test runner, just to state my opinion.
0: I also agree with that opinion. Okay. Um, I, I remember bringing it up. I don't remember what the actual answer was, but as to like why aren't we just trying to push this stuff upstream to to MiniTest? Yeah. Um. But basically, we're trying to add things like run by line, okay. N- uh, number, you know, like like an RSpec where it's yeah. RSpec whatever thing colon line number, and we're trying to add that uh, to MiniTest. And I don't know if that was just rejected as an upstream feature. Hmm. In which case, yeah, then we have no other choice. But
1: right, but to fork it and then take over, the uh, the right. main one. Because why would that be rejected? That's foolish, I feel.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't know if we've tried to push it upstream or if mm-hmm. we're even just... We might also just be planning to push it upstream. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. And then I, I think we also just want it to be Rails test, um, partially just because we're trying to unify what commands go through Rails and what commands go through Rake. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to... Oh, and with Rake tasks, it, right, you can't really take arguments in a yeah. non stupid way yeah. uh so that's the other thing is that then we can take arguments in uh, in this in this command
1: uh since the arguments were added to a rig task by uh, a human being who's a great programmer i just want to clarify it's not a stupid way it's just the best way we could come up with it. i'm sorry yes that is that's a better way to phrase it But yeah and then on the ruby side like documentation's okay i feel like you like yard is great and RDoc doc is very nice yeah but I never go to the documentation for a Ruby project. I instead just read the source code. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that
0: happens to developers in general. Like, I think that's a, a gauge of, of experience level, because as people get more experience, I feel like they learn to trust docs less and just go source diving more quickly.
1: There's also a statement about open source developers, right? Like, Java developers don't even have the luxury most of the time. Right. Whereas I've read the, the Ruby C source code fairly often. It's well all written C code. Ex, well, it's not well written, but uh, it's, <laughs> easy, it's, well, it's easy readable. to read. It's definitely readable.
0: Yeah. yeah At least uh, when you, as long as you avoid the VM. Right. Actually, if, if you might be interested in, in this too. So, you know, ampersand block. Yes. Um, right. And so if you're just capturing the block as a proc to delegate to something else, and mm-hmm. so you're just doing ampersand block, ampersand block, mm-hmm. we should skip the proc allocation. Okay. And so I did this in JRuby and I'm and I'm trying to do it in MRI. The only reason it's possible in JRuby though is because eval is treated as a keyword and not a method in JRuby. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can't do that in MRI. So we're gonna have we can't really do it at the compiler level, so we're more or less gonna have to do it at runtime. Right. And what we're thinking of doing is well, just to see if this is even possible, because we can't actually do it this way, but right now what we're trying to do is when we're setting up the that function if we take a block argument we actually stick if there was a block instead of doing the proc conversion right there instead we stick q undefined in its place and then in get local cuz right now q undefined has no definition of any meaning in a local variable and so yeah. then in get local we are checking to see if it's q undefined and if so instantiating the proc object Huh. Uh, and that would only then matter if it does not have an ampersand in front of it. But, of course, we're adding a branch to get local, which is currently a branchless instruction and probably one of the most hotspot uh, instructions in the VM. So, of course, we can't actually do it that way. But what, uh,
1: Why can eval not be a keyword in MRI?
0: Because it's just it's not, and... I don't – I just don't – I mean
1: – Like, if you're changing MRI, that might be the thing to change. But that's not a backwards-compatible difference, right? Right. Like, that would be a back, I mean, I, but now
0: that said, me personally, if you are aliasing eval and then calling your alias, I don't care. <laughs>
1: you shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I don't care about breaking your, your app.
1: Right, but it's totally valid to oh I see. Yeah. And this was
0: all this would also uh have to apply to uh instance eval and um class eval, all of the eval flavors mm-hmm. uh would need to be treated as keywords to do it at the compiler level.
1: Mm-hmm. That's another place where Python got it right. Lots of the Python syntax is more ugly than Ruby, mm-hmm. but it's certainly more consistent and the keywords, uh the keyword arguments like it fits the rest of the everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the one thing that always that, that always irks me to no end when I'm writing Python is doing uh, is memoization. Yes. As opposed to at or, or equals it's if not if not self dot has adder whatever self dot adder equals return thing.adder. But
1: you should use a decorator.
0: Oh I like that.
1: Yeah. There's uh so Django comes with a decorator from memoize, but it's not called memoize, which means I do not remember the name of it. <laughs> uh, and then there's a list of it's called a library of decorators, but really it's a wiki page with a whole bunch of code you can copy and paste. <laughs> it's like a library, and one of those is memoize. Huh. So I recommend that. That's cool. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about with Django? Seems uh, like it's a cool framework. It's a cool framework. Uh, I highly respect the way that they did the routing, the controllers. If you're frustrated with Rails, check that out. See if you like it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it.
0: All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me show notes for this episode can be found at bike shed.fm ratings and reviews on itunes are much appreciated if you'd like to get in touch with us you can email us at hosts at bike shed.fm you can find us on twitter at, at underscore bike shed or you can leave a comment on the website
1: thanks for listening to bike shed see you next time